Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that's been to two weddings in two days and is still standing. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and I don't believe I'm Still Standing was a track played at either of the two weddings we're at this weekend. Um, sadly, the uh, hectic social schedule that uh, we seem to have got ourselves into means there's been no time for Steve and I to record an episode reacting to the budget this week. Um, I've recorded a quick 10-minute hot take uh, the day after the budget, which is out on our Patreon page. If you want to support us and hear that, you're going to have to uh, go and subscribe at patreon.com forward slash not enough champagne. Steve and I will be meeting up later next week to record something for next Sunday. And who knows, by that point, the budget might have completely unraveled and, and fallen apart, which could be very exciting. In the meantime, here's a conversation that also went out on Patreon over the summer. So this was a Tom McTague article a profile he wrote about Boris Johnson uh, that we used to have a bit of a springboard to talk about some aspects of Johnson's personality and the Johnson government, which I think still bears up to scrutiny. The other reason we've chosen uh, this particular time to release it, it's not because it's Halloween, listeners, that's that's not the connection, but happy Halloween and have fun if you are trick-or-treating tonight. Um, it's because I use the occasion of, of this conversation to crowbar in a couple of references to John le Carre and given that I'm halfway through John le Carre's recently published posthumous novel uh, seems like a good a time as any to dust off the love of George Smiley and all things Cold War and all things spying. So I do hope you like the conversation. If you've got any questions you want us to try and cover in the budget in the episode next week, um, do tweet us. We're at No Champagne Pod. Steve's at Acoustic Radical. I'm at Paperback Rioter. Have a lovely week. Enjoy the conversation. unscripted discussions by which we mean sort of chaotic and and haphazard we've been talking i think for a few weeks about what the johnson government's been doing we've talked off and on for the five years we've been going trying to understand the psychology of boris johnson whilst also realizing that gold water rule applies and <laughs> it was a kind of interesting um article by by tom mctague isn't it in the in the atlantic which was tweeted basically everywhere it's a weird profile isn't it because it's it, well, it's definitely quite a sympathetic one. I mean, the Atlantic's quite a right-leaning magazine, isn't it? But it's um, he definitely seems to get on and like Boris Johnson. Yeah, and and, and I think this is one of the one of the issues you're you're, you're going to have with these sorts of takes on on Johnson is that so much of these these sorts of interviews and things that they they involve an awful lot about the interaction between the individual and the journalist. Like him or loathe him, on a one-to-one -one level, Boris Johnson is very charismatic, and that will absolutely bleed through into like the journalist's perceptions of, of him and, and how they write him up. Um, so you would need to basically be someone like Owen Jones, who is not just who who's not. It's not that he wouldn't necessarily be taken in by 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 the, by the prime minister, but he would be having an axe to grind already. 
um, about the about the prime minister, and therefore wouldn't let that charm or or whatever lovely conversations they had actually be the uh, be, be a major factor in in writing it. So in in attempting probably to be a little bit unbiased, just going there trying to get to know Boris Johnson, you end up with something that almost at points reads as a bit hagiographic as an actual meaningful depiction of Boris Johnson. It's probably not the full picture, um, but it is still a very interesting uh, read in, in and of itself. Tom Matega, people don't know him. I first came across him, I think he was writing for Political at the time, but he co-wrote Betting the House, which was a book on the 2017 election. That's very much in the style of things like the Andrew Ronsley books on the New Labour government or Tim Shipman with All Out War and Fallout. They're obviously very well connected. They obviously talk to everyone who was in the room and you know people who weren't. And it's definitely that sort of style of journalism where you kind of have to keep your sources on side. And certainly some of the more interesting podcasts in Pod Save America is when the people who were talking about how, say, they deal with a, how the Obama White House would deal with, say, knowing that Bob Woodward was writing a book about the Obama White House and how they'd, yeah, they'd, they'd offer him interviews and essentially try and sort of, they'd have a narrative, wouldn't they, that they'd try and, yeah, you know, the, these are the things we're going to tell him, these are the things we're not. It's not a kind of Owen Jones sort of, it, he's not polemical. He's obviously to talk to a lot of Johnson's aides on condition of anonymity, which a lot of these other books do as well. He, one of the things that's interesting, actually, he says that he's the first British leader I've seen who genuinely appears to be having a good time and uh, talks about his conversations with members of the public in quite a kind of effusive manner. And again, that's going back to that kind of that 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 charisma and charm that Boris Johnson does un- undoubtedly possess. I, I think with Johnson, a big part of it is not that he's necessarily having a good time. He's just very good at making it look like he's having a good time. And again, it all boils down, back, back down to that notion of, you know, him wanting to be liked, I think. Because let's let's be honest, who do you, who are you going to want to spend time around? The person that's cracking jokes and, uh, and, and you know, is, is, a, is a bundle of energy and, and able to kind of keep things moving and keep you entertained. Or like the stress guy who's running a country and just just doesn't quite and is just kind of all over the place because his, his attention is quite rightfully being pulled in all kinds of different directions um so i i i feel like i feel like johnson's charm is as much a almost like a shield as it is a uh, a part of his actual personality and it's just something that, that that's kind of he has to put up just to, because it's the only way he he knows to get people to actually respond in a positive way to him well, so there's a bit in the piece about that, isn't there, where it talks about before going to Eton, he was quite quiet, uh, was partially deaf until about age eight or nine. And then at Eton kind of put on that Johnson, that Boris persona. Yeah. Again, McTague sort of hints at this and this stuff. And stuff like he's he's superficially disheveled, but in fact is focused on watchful. And I think the interesting bits in the piece are when it talks about how Johnson presents itself how he presents himself to the public, what Johnson says about other politicians, and what, what Johnson says is his mission as Prime Minister. It's very, very calculated. It's very, very managed. And I suppose with, with other Prime Ministers have done that too, haven't they? So, so Margaret Thatcher had voice coaching. Yeah. You know, Harold Wilson had his teeth done. Tony Blair's obviously a very polished performer. It's not maybe that other Prime Ministers haven't sort of worked on their image, because obviously kind of all... Everyone. They all do, yeah. Yeah, like with, with Johnson, it's that persona that he's had for so long, like from childhood, yeah. which just seems to to work as a politician. It's Yeah, it's a gimmick. 
Um, it is 100% like almost like a wrestling gimmick. There is a real Boris Johnson under the under there somewhere, and it's probably like what we see is like an element of it, absolutely. But it's what we see is probably just certain elements of uh, other parts of it turned up to ten um, to, to 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 present to the world. And like as you say, so much of it is kind of like managed where even like the you know the shabbiness or or, or whatever are probably deliberate in a, in, in a in a lot of ways there's a line from um from from the american sitcom community where one of the characters is kind of like getting called out by one of the teachers and uh he basically and the teacher says something along the lines of and how and, and how long did it take for you to make your hair uh, to get your hair just right this morning so it so it had the perfect level of i just don't care bedhead like you've put clearly put in a lot of effort to look like you don't care and i think that's kind of where you are with 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 boris johnson Actually, the, the kind of like the physical appearance stuff, as I was reading this, is, is something that kind of made stop made me actually start thinking about kind of like Jeremy Corbyn in a lot of ways because Corbyn was accused of being like shabby and tatty a little bit as well, and, and not necessarily you know dressing up to the full extent that that was required. But if you compare like Corbyn to Johnson, Johnson looks unshe- dishevelled a lot of the time. Corbyn just looks like he was wearing like a standard suit. Um, you know, with a jacket and an anorak and things like that, that a lot of normal people would wear. But you get, but I feel like the difference between the two and why kind of like it's that sort of stuff kind of stuck a little bit with Corbyn and then it's just become part of Johnson's charm, quote unquote, is because Johnson's doing it deliberate, deliberately and knows what he's doing, whilst Corbyn was just being Corbyn, you know, for better or worse in that regards. It's an interesting point, yeah, and it's that weird. People seem to want authentic politicians, and authenticity is definitely the sort of cult. Yeah. It's, it's the currency of politics nowadays. It's a really interesting point about Corbyn because actually, yes, at the start he was a bit scruffy, but actually, as he went on, certainly after sort of in the run up to twenty seventeen, there was a definite, there's a definite smartening up. Yeah. Um, of the image, it's sort of wearing two piece suits rather than a jacket and trousers that don't match. Um, and it's, uh, I suppose, the other, I, I suppose the other thing with Corbyn and Johnson is they're, they're both quite divisive politicians in that I think you had, it was part of a big part of Corbyn's appeal was the fact that he just was who he wanted to be. Uh, he was incredibly himself in that regard and actually was completely unable to dissemble. Yeah. Um, whereas actually it's probably one of Boris Johnson's greatest well, greatest in the. Are you used that in the? It's not quite. I, his greatest strength. It's not necessarily being used for good or, or like to say something has a, is a strength of his. Isn't necessarily a an assessment of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something. It's a tool that he has at his disposal. Like yeah, yeah no, I would, I would agree with that. It's the thing about the, like Johnson's presentation though, with this like dishevelled. Is that it? Kind of almost kind of like links in. I feel to like what sort of kind of like worldview that Johnson has. There's a part of the article where, where, where Tom Hugo kind of basically, basically says Boris Johnson only knows how to be kind of like an optimist and to talk things up. And he's very much of the opinion that you can fake it till you make it. If you say Britain is on the rise enough, people will believe that Britain is on the rise and that will mean they will act like Britain is on the rise and then Britain will be on the rise. Presentation is everything approach. And that I feel like kind of is, is is very much linked into like how he chooses to portray himself, which as I say, I think it's a very kind of manicured, not in the sense that he looks good all the time, but precisely done 
um, presentation of appearance that, that he goes through. So I think, I, I don't think it would be a, a, a an unfair thing to say that Boris Johnson in many ways is about the aesthetic rather than the the function. And and I think that's that kind of sums up quite nicely, like an awful lot of the, the criticisms that we might we've had of him, certainly, where we've been kind of going, oh, it's all about the headlines, it's all about firefighting, just getting the you know, trying him trying to be like that's all about the aesthetic. It's like, how are you seen? How are we presenting? How is he presenting himself? How is Britain presenting itself? How is the government presenting itself? For Johnson in particular, he seems to I don't necessarily think it's deliberate. I just think he's the right person at the right time with the right kind of setup. And it just happens to have been put in a position where he can kind of thrive and flourish. But people are more responsive to somebody who's focused on aesthetics than they are about function right now. And that kind of works very much in his his favour. When we did the episode of him becoming Prime Minister, we did talk about a, a blog by Chris Dillow, the economist, on the sort of how this was the triumph of postmodern politics. Because, as you say, it was very much about what they were saying rather than what was actually being done. And I think the interesting thing, certainly what what comes across, I think, in the piece is that actually Boris Johnson isn't really like Donald Trump at all. He's more like Ronald Reagan. In terms of that sunny optimism, and in fact, I think it literally sort of at the start of the piece talks about... He believes if you repeat that it's mourning in Britain over and over again, the country will believe it and it'll come to pass. So yeah. literally evoking Reagan, but also fascinating series of books by Rick Perlstein on the sort of the rise of conservatism in America from Goldwater to Reagan. And one of the ways that Reagan sort of got conservative ideas into the press was essentially doing lots of little radio homilies, almost like five minute stories that would emphasize a particular part of, you know, free market conservatism actually when you looked into the details of the stories they they were all bollocks it was the equivalent of boris johnson's stories as a columnist in brussels talking about bendy bananas and how the condoms were too big for italian penises all that kind of stuff but people almost took them as as evoking this this greater truth i think that comparison really really struck me that it's and again just thinking about it, it's how how labor sort of counters that i think part what what johnson has been very good at and part of his appeal is this optimism which labor hasn't really done for a while hasn't really had the optimistic message i mean i mean this is something that we talked about way back in the remain campaign as well wasn't it in 2016 like there was no optimistic message it was all about yeah fear. i mean you had um Stuart rose who was i think chair of the of the remain campaign um, yeah, he was, so. um, did an interview the other day and he was basically like yeah no project it was project fair and that's what cost us until we can get that like you're always going to lose out to someone like to like boris, like boris johnson and something else which i think is the the nearest thing in there to, to a sort of political philosophy is this idea that so again just quoting from the article so johnson told me he doesn't think of himself as a nationalist but argued that individuals need to feel they they belong and they shouldn't be patronized for worrying about their traditions and connections being eroded and so and, and again this sort of it speaks in, it, it, it's pretty blue labor to be honest but this idea that um it's not just about being positive but it's about being part of something and keeping sort of traditions i mean the, the but then the interesting thing is he makes that quote in the context of him um opposing the european super league 
and something that doesn't isn't mentioned in the piece but it'd be it's a shame they didn't talk about it is the fact that in private Boris Johnson seemed to have backed the plan before coming out against it in public so again it's that sort of opportunism it's that lack of of concrete detail but I, I thought that was was kind of interesting um because again he talks about football clubs being turning into global brands and leaving their supporters behind which it doesn't sound like what you'd hear from a traditionally conservative prime minister but yeah. I, it, it does it taps into something yeah no it absolutely does tap into something but whether or not it's conservatism is a is a question in and of itself certainly modern conservatism as it's been defined since thatcher and reagan it definitely isn't that and and, and that's that's the a good point isn't it is that this is more sort of ted heath early 70s unacceptable yeah. face of capitalism even sort of a bit more McMillany. it's almost one nation but then it, it's also as you as you said in the episode we recorded on sunday it's pushing a lot of cultural war issues as well which are quite divisive and and a lot of it's hard to talk about inclusivity when you look at the remarks that johnson's made about muslim women people with watermelon smiles like it would be so easy for him for those sorts of comments to just kind of go you know what they were jokes but they were in bad taste i, I wouldn't make them again if, if i had the ability if, if i had the option to do so you know and, and and then you'd move on from it um because it's like okay he's admitted his mistake he's apologized for it move on but the fact that he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't admit it's a mistake he kind of doubles down on defending them and, and thing and things like that doesn't admit that like it is entirely possible for an action you do to be racist or sexist or, or whatever and the individual themselves to not actively be that it that's that's the whole point of like structural oppression and, and all of those sorts of things so it is entirely possible for boris johnson to make those sorts of jokes make those sorts of comments and not directly himself be racist you just use that as an example. Obviously, there's a whole lot of other isms which could be used in, in replacement of this. But the fact that he doubles down and doesn't just accept that it was wrong, it's, it's, it's one of those things which I do think that, that this piece missed on, on Johnson, which is he doesn't like being defined by other people. Like if you accuse, if you tell him he is X, Y, Z, I get the feeling he will kick back on you. He doesn't like be feeling like he has to do something or has to do X, Y, Z. And I think you can see that again in the pandemic. Like it's like the, the dithering is just like, oh, because I know I've got to do it. It's procrastination. Like, oh, I know I've got to hit this deadline. I've got to get this work done. Or I know I've got to get this essay written and I've got to get it submitted. But you procrastinate because you you know it's something you, you want to, you don't, you've got to do it, but you don't want to. And I think, I think I feel like with Johnson, the minute you put him in a position where it's like, you need to do this because this is the only option. He, with, I don't know what, what causes it. Maybe it's just his that, you know, that buccaneering spirit that he likes to present Britain as having, or that he thinks he has, you know, that, that freedom loving uh, person who at one point was said he would eat his identity card if he was issued with one, all of those different things. Maybe that is a, a very real part of Boris Johnson. As such, when you present him with a situation was like, no, genuinely, there aren't any alternatives and you have to go down this way. And there is this is the only thing you can really do. He kicks back. And so he doesn't like being defined, doesn't like being told what, what to do in a number of ways. And uh, as a result, like I feel like that's something that, that, that this kind of piece could have gone dived into a little bit more maybe. And again, that because it's so one-on-one, -on -one, based around that charisma and charm that he's got, you're not necessarily going to get that level of 
I want to say introspection, but that's not quite the right word. But you, you know what I mean here, like that that level of analysis of 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 him and his personality and the wider points, because they bring up a lot of like the more negative things that he said or or, or done. Um, like they, he, the, the piece is quite explicit that this man is a serial philanderer. Like I, I believe there's one bit of it where he basically says like. Boris Johnson has admitted that he's, you know, mucked around with, um, with, with, with taking cocaine at some point in in his life. But one of his, um, one of his aides actually thinks that that isn't accurate at all, and he probably never actually has. He's just saying it because a lot of people in his sect has, and he feels he needs to be a part of it. But what he has had and uses as his kind of stress relief or whatever is sex which is why he's constantly had so many failed marriages. He's got God knows how many kids by, by how many, how many women. And he's just been constantly cheating on his partners throughout his entire life. Yeah. I want to move away very quickly from the yeah. prospect of Boris Johnson having sex, but I think <laughs> one of the interest, so your, your point about Johnson not wanting to be defined is interesting. And I think you see that in the piece when it talks about John le Carre. Mm. So after John le Carre passed away, there were, a number of writings by people like Tom McCarthy, basically by Englishmen of a certain age who'd read a lot of John le Carre, which I found interesting because I'm also an Englishman of a certain age who's read a lot of John le Carre. Tom McTague wrote a piece and talked about John le Carre's observations about England, his failing ruling class, privately educated charlatans whom the author mocked as the greatest dissemblers on earth. I'd listed Johnson as an example. And Johnson says that actually that wasn't true. So he, So Johnson's response is, you lump me together with the various other people. You say we're all products of this decadent institution, to this culture and inad- inadequate and despairing establishment, and that's not me. In the context of Johnson read Tinker Taylor and sees a lot of foreign office bureaucrats who are essentially managing Britain's decline, and he's more optimistic than that. Um, but again, I think does miss the point that given given Johnson's poshness, you, know, you, you went to Eton, you remember the Bullingdon Club, you are exactly that, even if you don't want to seem like that way. Yeah. And, 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 in, go on. Sorry. and I think this is one of those very interesting things is that no one thinks they're a part of the elite. And maybe Jeff Bezos does. Maybe Elon Musk does. Maybe like some, glo- some international celebrities do. But no one thinks they're a part of the elite. Um, because everybody has an image of what the elite is and they look at their lives and they look at the people they know and they go, no, that's not me. That's not my friends. That's not my family. I can't be a part of the elite. Therefore, I must be working against the elite. And I think you can definitely see that with with, with Johnson in particular there with, with that, that, that idea of, like, oh, I'm not a part. I'm not a part of that. I'm, 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 you know, pushing back against this. The elite is, by his own admission here, it's like, you know, the bureaucrats that are doing managed decline. They're, they're the ones that are just happy for Britain to like, fall back and that's not good for britain that's not good for the british people it's not good for the economy it's not good for, for anything that's why i'm fighting back against it that's why I'm, i want us to punch above our way all of these different things for us boris johnson absolutely is the elite because we look at it and go well the elite is people who went to eat and people who are were part of the bullington club like oxford cambridge uh, you know they, they work in all of these different areas they they bring in in hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, in 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 income every year through you know just writing a daily telegraph column or, or whatever it was i can't remember how much he was being paid for that now but like 250 grand a year yeah like it was literally a case where Boris Johnson has uh, somebody. Uh, John, there was some stuff a while back, which I think we might have discussed on the podcast, where Johnson's basically worked it out that he needs something like half a million a year just to make ends meet. Half a million a year to make ends meet. 
if, if that's your level of making ends meet, you are 100% a part of the global elite in some capacity, because that is more than a lot of people will earn in their lifetimes internationally and will take decades for people in, in for some people in the UK to earn. But he does not view it as that. And therefore he must be fighting against the elite because the elite is that generic other. It has not been, there is, because actually, and this is the thing I'm fast becoming coming to the conclusion, there is no elite at the top of society in, 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 in any capacity anymore because nobody, because everybody thinks there's somebody else is it, which means who are you fighting against? You're fighting against everything. Except there's the, again, one of the, it, what, the interesting thing in the article we've not talked about yet is, is Johnson's, Teflon status and able to get away with things that other politicians wouldn't. There's it talks about David Cameron being mocked for admitting he didn't have a price for a loaf of bread. And the reporter asked Johnson the same question. Johnson got it right, but then added, I can tell you the price of a bottle of a cha- I can tell you the price of a bottle of champagne. How about that? Which is very consciously sort of saying he's part of the elite. It's so it's it's like it's jelly to a wall. It's just impossible to to pin down but what that does do i think is so that actually i think the the sort of the reason why he's so popular is that that sort of self-deprecation that in that that joking uh, in an interview with cnbc asked about whether his performative incompetence was typical in a politician and johnson says no i think it's a very cunning device self-deprecation is all about understanding that basically people regard politicians as a bunch of shysters and again i think we talked about this in the previous podcast it's that you're in on the joke you're in on the corruption almost um i think we talked about it certainly in terms of donald trump that yeah, it's not on the wink yeah um and johnson basically it's very much reaction against politicians like tony blair who were very polished and so just thinking about kirst Starmer for a second who again is grew up in a very different background you know proper working class actually probably see it is in in terms of politics and outside you know came up through through the legal profession but maybe looks and sounds more like a sort of politician from central casting for better or worse. Whereas Johnson really doesn't. Yeah, no, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth to that. Anything else for us to go through? I think we've covered most of the salient bits. Yeah. I think that's probably it, isn't it? Anything else? We've talked about the car, haven't we? Yeah. And the George Smiley stuff. Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about the George Smiley. Well, it's interesting that Johnson likes George Smiley. There's no way that George Smiley would like Boris Johnson. And certainly uh, <laughs> John Carey wasn't a fan either of his final novels to go through, uh, to go by. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think we've covered most of the, the salient bits there. I think so. In England, that's just only 25 minutes. So we should probably yeah. get on and do something. 